want to read you a really, really strange version of the Bible, which I wouldn't normally read. It's called The Word on the Street. I found this in a second-hand bookshop once, and it is the most radical version of the Bible I've ever read. And you can't really take it too seriously. You have to read it along with the, the Scriptures. But I thought as we bring our, our Prodigal Son series to a close, I wanted to read you how this guy rephrased the Prodigal Son story. Uh, and I think you'll get a maybe just a different sense of the story. So the words will be on the screen, and uh, I hope you enjoy this. This factory owner guy has two sons. The kid brother gets it into his skull that he's had enough. He goes to his dad, and as much as wishes the old man dead, I want my half of the inheritance. The dad almost has a heart attack from the shock, but he sits down, does the sums, sells some shares, and hands over half the family assets. The son doesn't even hang around to hear his dad's top 10 tips for survival. He legs it. Within weeks, he's off to foreign climes, spending the nights filling the glasses of the designer set with his liquid assets. He has such a great time, he can't remember any of it the next day. Of course, the money goes down the toilets. So do the friends when they realize he's broke. So he surfs around and finds a site called worstjobspost.com. He scrolls through the search results and ends up cleaning out the pigsties. Not such a great career move since he still counts himself Jewish. He's there with his shovel, scratching away, and suddenly a light bulb just goes on, goes on just above his head. What am I doing? The worst job in the old man's empire is like jet setter status compared to this. If I had any food in my stomach, I'd be throwing up. I'll hitchhike home. I'll work on a speech, something like, you don't have to think of me as family, but please give me a job. So after a long, hot trip, he turns the corner into his old street. His dad sees him and runs out into the street in his slippers, throws his arms around him, lifts him up and spins him around. And the noise, the whole street hears, it's so embarrassing. The son starts his speech, but the dad cuts in, telling his assistant to arrange the biggest street party ever. My son was virtually dead and he's come back. He was lost and now he's turned up. Let's party. Don't you just love a happy ending? Me too. Sorry, not this time. See, there's still the big brother issue. He's coming home from work. He turns the same corner and thinks he's in a scene from an old musical. Dancing, music, tables right up the middle of the street and everyone having a fantastic time. He calls over one of the waiters and asks, we just win the lottery or what? The employee answers, better than that, sir. Your brother's back. And your dad's blown the whole entertainment budget on the party. <laughs> That's the trigger. He loses it. Furious, he walks off, kicking lamps, lampposts, ranting and swearing. His dad catches up with him, but he has to fend off words he'd never heard before from his oldest. I've slogged my guts out, slaving over your accounts, doing exactly what you told me to do. I've not even taken sick time when I fancied a day down the beach. And did you ever, ever throw a party for me and my mates? No. But when this waster comes crawling back, oh yes, he gets the full treatment. Well, thanks for nothing. Sonny's dad says, grabbing him by the shoulders and eyeballing him, you're around all the time and I love it. What's mine is yours. But how could I not throw a party? As far as I knew, your brother was dead. Now he's alive. He could have been anywhere. Now he's here with us. Come on, join the party. Very cool. Very cool. Go and read the, the NIV, I think, just to re recap what it actually sounded like. But uh, I loved that. And tonight we're bringing to close uh, our, our three-week...
He's coming home. We've been looking at this prodigal son story of Jesus, the parable of the lost sons in Luke 15. And we saw the younger brother in the first week and how he rejected it all, ran away, and squandered his father's gifts. We saw the older son last week, didn't reject his dad, but was still far away in his spirit because he was bitter, he was hard. He was so close, but so far, if you remember. And our emphasis has been this, we are like the children. That's been our focus, finding ourselves in the two brothers uh, and, and learning that we need to change because we're like them, right? I want to show you a painting, the famous prodigal son painting by Rembrandt, the return of the prodigal son. In fact, we've got a copy of it, uh, a forgery, no, a copy of it hanging in the, in the room next door. And I want to encourage you to go look at it. And if you have five minutes or ten minutes or an hour or a day sometime, come and spend that time looking at that painting. You'll find, you know, like every two minutes something new hits you about this painting. It's amazing. Now, who would you say is the main, the main character in this painting? Surely it's the father. Surely it's the father right there in the center with his arms around the youngest son. There's six people, Right? One, two, three, four, five, six that I can see. But really, your focus is immediately drawn to the light on the father's face. And so I want to say that the father is the main character of the prodigal son's story. We often make the mistake of reading our Bibles looking so hard for us, and we should do that, but we, we often make the mistake of looking so deeply for ourselves we miss God in the picture. We get so wrapped up in finding what I can get out of this that we forget that the main point of any Bible story is who is God. Whenever we pick up our Bibles, we should be reading saying, who is God? What does it say about God? How can I be more in awe of God as I read this passage? And when we do that, we find we transform anyway. And so this story is really about the father. The parable of the prodigal son is one where we can often miss the glory of the Father because we're so busy looking at the sons. Uh, now, the, the title of this story in most Bibles is The Lost Son or The Prodigal Son. I think that's the famous one. Uh, but in the version that I just read, this guy titles it Dad of the Year. Dad of the Year. And I think he got it. I think he got it that the father's actually the, the hero of this story. In fact, the word prodigal doesn't even mean lost. The word I mean, the word prodigal, if you look it up on Google, has a few different definitions. The first one is wastefully extravagant. So the first son was wastefully extravagant with what he was given. Sure, prodigal. The second one, prodigal means having or giving something on a lavish scale. And the example they give kind of cracked me up. It said, the dessert was prodigal with whipped cream. <laughs> so yes, the, son was, the first son was a prodigal. He was wastefully extravagant, right? He kind of threw away all the stuff that he was given. But here's the truth. The father is actually the prodigal because he was lavish with his love in this whole story. In fact, some would even say he was wastefully extravagant in the love that he gave to his sons. He, he didn't need to. He could have just tossed them out, but he was, he was lavish in the way that he loved them. The real prodigal, it turns out, is God. And so today, I want to just look at the father, the main character of all of our stories and the main character of this story and uh, see how extravagant and lavish he is. Number one, he is excessive in his generosity. 
Jesus says, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. He actually did it, right? He actually gave what he didn't have to give. I think when, when Jesus was telling the story, I can imagine the people sort of going, what? Huh? He actually did it? Why didn't he just laugh his son off, you know, for asking such a radical thing? But the father actually gives generously where he didn't have to give. And this is typical of God. This is typical of God. He tends to shower blessings on us that we don't deserve. Material things, yes. I'm not talking about, you know, being the richest people on earth, but you and I have got shoes and, and a fridge and transport. We're rich, you know. God has given us more than we deserve. But also we've been given spiritual blessings. The best one of all is the promise of eternal life through Jesus. That is a gift that we don't deserve. In fact, Paul wrote this to the Colossians in Colossians 1 verse 12. He said, give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Now notice the phrasing, he qualified us, right? We didn't qualify ourselves. We didn't actually earn it. He simply loved us as his children. And because he loved us, he gave us an inheritance, which is the glory of eternal life through Christ. You know, there's a beautiful old song called Why Me, Lord. Do you remember that song? Chris Christopherson wrote it. And he was a big country star. He was kind of top of his game in the 70s. And kind of all started to fall apart for him. He was actually a typical younger prodigal son. Uh, he wasted his life and all sorts of bad stuff. And things started to fall apart. He went to a church service one day and he got saved. God broke into his life at this church service at his darkest moments. And so he went home and he wrote this song. And the song goes, Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown? And like a younger son, Christopherson learned that the father is excessive in his generosity. You know, even though we don't do anything to deserve it. Think of all the pleasures you've known in your life. I mean, think of every pleasure you've ever experienced. Think of every spoonful of food that you've eaten. Think of every note of music you've ever heard. Think of every sentence you've read. Think of every message you've gotten on your phone or an old letter maybe. Think of every book you've read. Think of every TV you've owned for a second. I mean, the, the blessings that you and I have are actually ridiculous in their number. Think of every person that you've loved for a second. I'm sure you can name many. Think of every person who's loved you. Think of every, think of every single happy moment in your life where you've smiled. God didn't have to give you those moments. In fact, he probably didn't deserve any of them in the first place, but God loved you as a, as a child, and so he showered them on you anyway. That is the nature of our father. And you know what's amazing about this story is that even when the younger son wastes it all, even when he throws all those pleasures down the toilet, as I said in our reading today, you know, the father didn't hold out when he came back. The father could have said to him, you blew it the first time, and so come back but to work with you, you know. But he didn't. He said, here's more. Here's more blessing for you. Here's more good things for you. And even when the older brother gets all uptight, 
You know, the father could have said to him, if that's how you feel, then you go on your way. I don't need you around here. But he encourages him to stay so that he can enjoy more of the blessings. The father still pours out his generosity onto you and I today, friends. Even if we've wasted it, even if we've done our own thing, come back and you'll find the lavish, prodigal generosity of the father. Even today. Okay, number two, the father has excessive perseverance. Now, this is the third story in Luke 15. Okay, the first story, well, the first two also talk about lost things becoming found. First, Jesus talks about a lost sheep. One of the sheep goes missing, and the shepherd leaves the other behind, the other 99, and runs off to find the lost sheep. Picture the shepherd, right, climbing over mountains to find the sheep. Picture the shepherd in rain and snow and mud, just going everywhere he can to find his lost one. This is the excessive, lavish perseverance of the father coming after those who are lost. And then he tells a second story about a lost coin, a widow who's got 10 coins, loses one. She spends the whole day sweeping out the house, looking under the the chairs and searching in every corner to find that thing of value that she'd lost. And this is a picture of our God who loves us so dearly and values us so much that he comes after us. He perseveres to find us because he values us. The whole story of Scripture, in fact, is a story of God persevering with his people because he values them. He rescues them. They go off the rails. He rescues them and brings them back. They go their own way. He runs after them to bring them back. He perseveres when all others would simply give up. I think when we read the story, we we rush through it. It's like the prodigal goes away and one sentence later, he's already made up his mind to come home. And we think, okay, it was maybe a few months, right? But maybe it was years. In fact, it was probably years and years that the prodigal was off in his own land, but the father persevered. In fact, John Piper wrote a stunning poem on this prodigal, on this prodigal, parable (laughs) called the prodigal sister google it in fact i'll send it out uh, on my devotions this week i want to send the link the prodigal sister and it's it's about how the sister goes off to try save her brothers it's really cool but the way piper describes the father made such sense to me he talks about the father going after the youngest son after he first leaves uh trying to convince him to come back He hears that the son is up to all sorts of silly things, and so he goes to that town, but he keeps getting chucked out by everybody because, you know, they're doing their thing. They don't want him around. So he goes home, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays. Sometime later, he comes back into the town. He discovers that the son is now broke, and he's, he's got nothing, and he's working for a farmer. And so he goes to the farmer and says, Please, can I see my son? And the farmer says, I'm sorry, he doesn't want to see you. I can't break his trust, you know. So the father says, okay, why don't you just keep an eye on him? Why don't you just look after him while he's, while he's there? And he goes home and he prays. And he prays. And periodically he comes back and says to the farmer, how's he doing? Anything I can do? Can I give you some money? Gives the farmer some cash to help out. Years pass, and he keeps praying every day, and he keeps going back to check on his son. Eventually, he builds this big porch on the front of his house so that he can sit and watch down the long road in case his son ever comes back. He's a persevering father. 
He's persevering. He doesn't just leave you off on your own. He comes and he, he nudges at you and he, he, he tries to convince you to come home. And maybe you don't know that this is true of you, but it is. Maybe you've never recognized it before, but it's exactly true of your life too. God persevered. He chased after you. He came and he never forced his way. He never just beat down the door and dragged you off. He always just showed himself. He always just showed up and asked for you to come back. In fact, Peter wrote these words about God in his second letter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to, to perish. God wants us all to come home, and so he perseveres. He comes after you time and time again. And maybe, maybe today can be the day that you hear his knock on the door and come home. Okay, number three. I want to say that the father has got excessive or prodigal compassion. You can be generous without being compassionate. You can give people gifts and still hate them. And so we celebrate the Father's generosity, but let's be assured today that he doesn't despise us. It's not some sort of peace gift to appease his guilt or anything like that. His generosity flows from a huge amount of compassion for each one of us. Jesus says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw the kid coming down the road and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. God, the father is prodigal. He's excessive in his love for lost people. Now in Piper's poem, uh, the father's old by now. He has bad knees. He can hardly walk. He walks with a cane. He's got bad eyes. He can hardly see. And so he sits on that porch and just hopes one day he'll see what he wants to see and then it happens the sun the sun the silhouette of the sun starts coming down the road and it's the most moving thing the father throws his cane and he leaps over the porch over the steps and he runs down the road and throws his arms around his son I think I mentioned a few weeks ago how unthinkable it was for a man of the house to run it would never have happened it was in fact a disgrace for a man of that standing to run but know this today, the Father's compassion for you is at the expense of his dignity even. He lays aside his dignity so that he can show us the love that he has. I want you to imagine the Father with his arms around the Son weeping. You see the Father just, just weeping so loudly, like in the, in the reading, how the neighbors came out to see what was going on because they heard him sobbing so loudly. Can you picture... The father with all his strength gone because he's just showering everything that he's got in his spirit onto the son because he's come home again. He doesn't care for his dignity in the moment. He just wants the son to know that he's loved. Now, soon after he tells the story, Jesus would lay aside his dignity to show the world that he loved them. He'd be arrested, he'd be beaten beyond recognition. He'd be stripped naked, hung on a cross for everyone to see and laugh at. Talk about losing your dignity, right? But he did it. He did it willingly so that people could see the love of the Father in him on the cross. To show the lost ones, you and I, that he would go to any depths, any distances, any, 
He would do anything to get us to come home. And years later, Paul would write this in 1 Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, losing your dignity to love someone is foolishness to the world. But to people who know Jesus, it's the very definition of love. And so know today, the God of all glory laid aside His majesty to save you. Our Father is prodigal. He's excessive in His compassion for each one of us. Friends, don't reject the prodigal love of the Father. What a waste for Him to go through all of that. What a waste for Him to give all of that for you and I and for us to walk away from it. His compassion for you is great. Accept it today, friends. And then lastly, let me remind you that the Father shows us His excessive pleasure. That's probably not what you expected to hear. But think about this. The younger son wasted his life on pleasures that left him empty. The older son wasted his life serving with no pleasure. But notice what the father does when the son comes home. He throws a party. What did the reading say? He blows the whole entertainment budget (laughs) on the party. For too long, people have had this picture of God as a big party pooper, as some sort of cosmic killjoy, as someone has said. Do you remember Footloose? Hey, I haven't watched that movie in a long time. I was thinking about it during the week. I must watch it again. It's about this preacher who kind of thinks rock and roll and dancing is evil. And so he, he... stops the kids from dancing. And so they all go and dance anyway somewhere else, you know, apart from God. He had this idea that God is a killjoy. God wouldn't want dancing in his church. That's ridiculous. And so he oppresses them and they rebel and they go look for pleasures aside from God. And we often think that God is like that preacher. We often think God says, no pleasure for you. Just come and do what's right. Come and serve and uh, deny yourself pleasure. That can't be true if, if Jesus told a story like this. The father, when he receives his son home, doesn't say, okay, to work with you. Doesn't say, okay, good. You know, I think in, in, the, re, in the listeners' minds when Jesus was telling the story, they thought, okay, the father's sitting on the porch and when the son comes home, he's going to just glare at him and say nothing. Can you imagine the son walking all the way up to the father and the father just looking at him and nodding and saying, okay, get back to work. It's not what happens, right? He, he leaps for joy. He throws a party, man. He dances and, and puts music on. Well, puts music on. Hired musicians probably in those days. Uh, have you seen what's going on? He's not a killjoy. He's the very creator of pleasure. In fact, he designed us to enjoy the good things of life to his glory. In the story of the lost sheep, when, when the shepherd finds the sheep, he puts the sheep on his shoulders and runs home in excitement and tells all his friends and family to come celebrate with him. Right? It's not a pious getting back to the job thing. It's a let's celebrate because good things have happened. Same with the widow. The widow finds her lost coin in that parable and she doesn't just put it back in her pocket and carry on. She calls her friends up and says, I found it. I found it. Come, let's celebrate. She probably spent that that on some of the celebrations. God celebrates, says Jesus in these stories. All of heaven celebrates with much dancing and singing when lost ones are saved. And so let me ask you this question. Why do we come to church on a Sunday? 
Why do we gather to worship? Could it be that we're missing out on this very function every Sunday? Could it be that we forget to celebrate the lost being found when we come here? What would our worship look like if we came here longing to have a party because God has saved us? What would it be like if we came here longing to celebrate other lost ones? Look around. There's, what, 25 of us here? I think most of us have been saved, have come home to the Father. Are we celebrating each other's saved state? Or do we come here and stay in our little bubble and then leave? Why aren't we leaping off the walls with joy because God has saved us as a community? If the Father threw a big party with food and dancing, then I believe the Father likes good things. Don't see your faith as some sort of pleasure killer, friends. Find pleasure in lost ones being saved. Find joy in the arms of the Father. Find great pleasure in God's generosity and His compassion. Find pleasure in celebrating the work of God when you see it around you. Find pleasure in worshiping. That's what we're here to do, not to deny ourselves, but to, in fact, glut ourselves on God and His goodness. And so, yes, I think this was definitely Dad of the Year. He was prodigal. He was excessive in his love. And, you know, these four traits are actually quite familiar. They're essentially fruits of the Spirit. They're just kind of different phrasing of the fruits of the Spirit. We can see ourselves in the younger brother, and I'm sure most of us do. We can see ourselves in the older brother and turn from our selfish ways. But ultimately, friends, our aim is to become like the Father as we read this story. Let's focus on the Father. Let's see how we can become like Him. Like Him, let's be generous people. Let's be people who give more than we need to give, like the Father did. I'm not just talking about money and stuff. I'm just talking about giving of yourself. Like Him, let's persevere in our prayers for our lost brothers and sisters. Let's do all we can to help them come home and find the Father's love again. Let's be, let's be prodigal in our compassion, even if it takes us out of our comfort zones, even if sometimes we lose our dignity because we want people to be loved. And let's be joyful people like the Father and celebrate our family in Christ.